This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back to Mariners Pod. Gary Hill with you. Thanks for being here. At Mariners Pod on Twitter, the place to follow. So we have a lot to talk about in this one. There was a ton going on with the Mariners yesterday, including the draft, although we're not really going to get much into the draft in this one. We're going to do a lot of draft next week, some features, some interviews along the way. So some draft stuff coming next week. Today, we're going to have a few things for you. We'll talk about the game last night. The Mariners fall to Cleveland, so we'll break that down in just a moment. Some good stuff coming up. Rick Riz will talk to Steve Johnson about pitching and also about his wonderful curveball. That comes up. Shannon Dreher caught up with James Paxton after his tremendous start. He's going to start over the weekend against Texas, and this is a big weekend against the Rangers. And I'm very anxious to watch him pitch again. He was tremendous his last time out but a little insights on Paxton that's going to come up in a few and also an interview with well <laughs> you may remember him from last year Bernie from across the pond he's a giant Mariners fan and he comes to Seattle once a year for uh, the games vary but usually during an entire homestand and we caught up with them last year on the podcast so we did it again this year and it's a fun conversation and if there's anything this podcast has taught me is Mariner fandom is worldwide that is well established with this podcast but Bernie comes up and uh, it's great so I think you'll enjoy the conversation so that's going to come up in this podcast as well. Also, a big thank you to everyone yesterday who participated in the ticket giveaway. Again, the response was sensational. I appreciate it as always. And a big congratulations to Alex on, who was the winner of the tickets. So he'll be going to a Mariners game here in the near future towards the end of the month. And, uh, yeah, again, just thank you, everyone, for participating. I, I wish I could thank you each personally, but just know, each of you, I certainly appreciate uh, everything you do, all your participation, your feedback, everything else. Uh, you make this thing happen, and believe me, I deeply appreciate it. So we'll be doing this again. So we'll be giving away tickets in the near future again because it seems to be pretty popular. So, all right. With that in the books, again, congratulations to Alex. We'll turn to the game last night. The Mariners, a chance to take a series against the Cleveland Indians, but 
This one is pretty simple to break down when you look at it. In terms of what happened, Nathan Carnes, again, some of what we saw against Texas, a little odd, though. He went four and a third, gave up just two hits, a couple of singles, but just didn't have his command. Five walks and five strikeouts. And you look at Mariners pitching overall, he walked five, Montgomery won, Diaz won, Benoit won, Eight walks issued by the Mariners in this one, and Cleveland made the M's pay, including the big two-run jack in the eighth inning off of Benoit. Here's the pitch, swung on, well hit ball deep to right field. Cruz going back to the one, he tracked to the wall, leaps up, and it is gone. Goodbye baseball. Tyler Naquin gets it out of here to straightaway right field, his fourth home run of the year. With Rajay Davis aboard, and the Indians have just taken a four to two lead in the ball game. Four to two lead at that point. Before that, though, Robinson Cano was having another big night with the long ball. Here's the pitch, swung on, well hit ball straight away center field. Tyler Naquin going back, looking up. Goodbye baseball. Holy cannoli, Robinson Cano with his seventeenth home run of the season. To straightaway center field, and just like that, the Mariners have taken a one-to-nothing lead over the Indians here in the bottom of the first inning. What a shot by Cano! And then Cano would do it again. The 1-0 swing and a well-hit ball deep to right field, going and going. Goodbye baseball. Robbie Cano does it again. His second home run of the ball game. Holy smokes! About halfway up into the bleachers, the lower deck in right field. His 18th home run of the season. He hit number 17 to straightaway center back in the first. Third game in a row, a Mariner has hit two home runs in the ball game. It was Nelson Cruz, then Chris Iannetta the game before, uh, the game after, and then Robinson Cano yesterday. Three straight games. It's also the third time this year Cano has gone deep twice in a ball game that already ties a career high in a season. He's done it two other years in his career where he's gone yard twice in a ball game, which is pretty impressive. The Mariners now, they've done it eight times this year between different guys. That's the second most in baseball this season as they continue to play the long ball game, especially Robinson Cano. But it set the stage for the final at-bat of the ball game. Cody Allen came on in the eighth to try and close this down. Things got pretty interesting. Two on, two down. Robinson Cano up. He never has hit three home runs in a ball game. He was looking to do it and trying to win the game. The 3-2 pitch on the way and a swing and a miss of the ball. Gets on by the catcher, Jimenez. Cano to first. The throw to first by Jimenez. And it's in time to get Cano for strike three. And the ball game is over. The Indians hang on and they win it tonight by a score of five to three. The swing and a miss on strike three. The ball got on by Jimenez all the way to the on deck circle. The long throw to Napoli at first. It got far almost near the dugout or near the dugout, almost into the dugout, it looked like. But Jimenez, pretty good play, went sliding and fired it to first and just getting Cano. Otherwise, I mean, who knows what happens after that? But. Ball game ends right there. The Mariners fall to Cleveland. The series split. And now it continues as the Texas Rangers come to town. 
to take on the Mariners in a three-game weekend series. Mariners taking on the first-place Rangers. Texas red hot. They beat Houston yesterday, so 37-23 and 23 on the season, the best record in the American League. Also in first place in the AL West, the Mariners 33-27 and 27 on the season. Now four games back of Texas for first place in the West. The Mariners kind of in the mix amongst the other teams after Texas. As it sits right now, Baltimore, who all of a sudden, they've won five games in a row. They've taken over first place in the East. They have the second best record now in the American League. And it really just points out, I mean, any team is about – a four or five game winning streak away from taking control of their own division or at least bumping themselves into the wild card mix. I mean, that's, that's where we're at at this point as red hot as Boston was just like that. Baltimore has taken the lead in the AL East. So Baltimore has the second best record in the American league. Boston still has the third best record in the American league. Certainly still in the mix. Cleveland, Leapfrogs the Mariners now fourth best record in the American League. The Mariners the fifth best record in the American League right now and trying to track down the Rangers after being swept in Texas last weekend. Texas the best home record in the American League at 24 and 10. They've been great in Arlington, 13 and 13 on the road. This is how it dials out Derek Holland against Sasashi Wakuma. They were locked in a great duel in the final game in Texas. And then game two of the series on Saturday, Colby Lewis against James Paxton. Very anxious for that one. And then Cole Hamels on Sunday against Wade Miley. So a big series for the Mariners. And these are huge when you talk about in the division, especially with a team you're chasing because you're taking one game chunks at a time. And I mean, we saw how pivotal the three games last weekend was in terms of the division standings and a chance to gain some ground back. So 7-10, first pitch tonight, Holland against Iwakuma. Saturday, same thing, 7-10, first pitch, and then Sunday at 1-10 at Safeco Field. And the parade of first-place competition continues, Texas, Cleveland, and then Texas again. So a tough, tough stretch of the schedule, but the good news is Marte is back, and... It looks like, anyways, Martin will be in center field starting tonight as well, and that's going to be fantastic. And I was looking over some numbers again. He has been one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball this year. We know that by watching him. I mean, that's kind of an obvious statement, but the numbers back it up too. He's been sensational out there. He's going to help offensively. I mean, when he went down, he had the third-best OPS in the American League for center fielders. Behind Jackie Bradley and Mike Trout, that's good company. And then with with his contributions defensively, he was playing at an all-star level. So that's been a big loss for the Mariners, and he'll be back tonight for the M's against Texas. So there you go. You're all ready for this weekend. Right now, James Paxton is going to go this weekend on Saturday. Here's Shannon Dreyer with the lefty. You know, let's just go ahead and take it back a week. I think we looked at what we saw in San Diego and just kind of, well, no, that's not what we expect from you and not what you expect from yourself. And obviously the outcome, not what you wanted, but we thought you would turn that around quickly. You did. What went into that week? Uh, You know, just a lot of preparation. I think Uh, we mixed pitches a lot better last night, Um, changing speeds, uh, location better, and just um, 
keeping them off balance, not just so they can just sit only on the heater. We had them we had them thinking about other pitches also. One of the things that was great to see, and the skipper's been talking about this with quite a bit of the starters, is you can't work your way into the game. You've got to come in and introduce all of your pitches at once, and it looked like you threw everything in that first inning. Yeah, we threw uh, a lot of fastballs and cutters early, and then we went to the curveball and mixed in some change-ups late. Um, you know, it was good to have that kind of two- to three-pitch mix going on and introduce some change-ups later in the game. Once I got going, um, I thought of Chris did a great job back there, and uh, it was uh, it worked out pretty well. Tell us about that cutter. We're seeing a lot more of it. Yeah, the cutter's feeling really good. Uh, from the arm slot that I'm throwing from right now, it's just coming out really naturally, and uh, it's a pitch that's easy for me to uh, to throw right now from that arm slot. The arm slot is new, and it's funny because you say that's natural. It was natural over the top. You've been all over the place with arm slots and the evolution, but you seem to find different things that work at different times. Yeah, you know, it's been weird. Um, Throwing over the top, I feel like I was just getting too high, and I was throwing from a place of weakness, I think, way up there. So when I brought it down a little bit, it just felt really fluid and loose and uh, just a lot easier on my body and my arms. So I think it's, uh, it should help me out a lot. And it's pretty cool how that was discovered. You told me last night, but Lance Painter kind of had you do a little exercise there. He did, yeah. It was one of those things where he said you roll a, uh, roll a ground ball to your backhand side and then just pick it up and throw it without thinking about it. And when I did that, um, the arm slot that I'm at now is where I threw the ball from. And he's like, when you're not thinking about it, you pick up a ball going backside and then just throw it. You're going to throw it from your natural arm slot. How much of adjustment was that? I mean, this is a fairly new change. It was. Um, you know, the, the first time that I went out and pitched with the adjustment, uh, the, ve- the velocity was way different. I was throwing a ton of strikes. I was, uh, I think the biggest uh, adjustment for me has been the breaking balls and getting used to staying in that position, throwing my breaking balls because the shape of my pitches are different, so I have to visualize them a little bit differently. Um, And that's been the biggest adjustment uh, for me is um, getting the breaking balls across with the new uh, arm angle. And just explain that difference in shape. Yeah, so, you know, my curveball was probably more, uh, tw- not quite 12 to 6, but more 12 to 6 uh, when I was over the top, and now it's kind of more slurvy looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so going looking for that break and keeping my arm in the same slot as my fastball is really important. I don't want to change my arm slot on my curveball so that when guys, when the hitters see that and the arm slot change, they know a certain pitch is coming. I want it to be, you know, unknown. It's good to have a little bit more side to side. Yeah, like. absolutely. And then lastly, that velocity. I mean, the first time you see that, what are you thinking? I mean, it felt felt great. I honestly had no idea how hard I was throwing last night. Um, I was just, I, felt, I knew it was hard, but I didn't know it was 100. Um, I was just trying to throw through the catcher and just keep, keep in direction. Well, I think Ionetta probably has a very sore hand, but that's a good thing. James, thank you. Thank you very much. And here's Rick Riz with Steve Johnson. Chance to sit down and talk pitching with uh, Mariner reliever Steve Johnson. And Steve, let's go way back when you started. Little kid comes up to you, says, Mr. Johnson, I want to be a pitcher. Where do you start telling a kid about how to be a pitcher? Well, I know the radar gun is, has come into everyone's mind, you know, and kids want to go throw hard, but... I think the most important thing you can tell some uh, kid is to go and throw strikes. I know every coach at any level, whether it's in 
you're playing five, six years old or, you know, high school or in the they want someone who can throw strikes because odds are they're going to get themselves out, especially when you're younger. So, you know, everyone's worried about the curveball and stuff. If you can just throw a, a fastball and even just a changeup in there for a strike, you're going to go uh, really far, and then you can learn the other stuff later. Okay, the mound is 60 feet 6 inches from home plate. You're throwing to a target, home plate, which is 17 inches wide. How do you get that command with the fastball and find the release point and and be able to control your fastball? Uh, it's just a lot of repetition. You know, you get muscle memory, getting your body to uh, be able to do the, the same thing every time without even thinking about it. So when you get out there and you're trying to think about, you know, okay, lift my leg up, putting, you know, no, that's not that's not the time to do it. You got to do it, you know, practice. And, you know, I used to be in the grocery store with my, my dad and mom, and they're picking <laughs> stuff up, and I'm just in there doing my delivery. Really? And, yeah, it was just... And I, I would just pick it up and do it wherever and be. It looked really weird, but I would, it would just be something that was just, okay, I'm just going to practice this real quick. And um, you just kind of find ways to do it. And I was just able to, uh, for the most part, throw strikes. And every now and then it, it becomes a lot harder to, to get that ball over the plate. But, uh, you know, it happens from time to time. Throwing peaches and apples around aisle four or what? <laughs> no, just, no, I mean, <laughs> You know, you're, you're, I used to play a lot of wall ball and, and you know, like I said, the, the grocery store stuff or just wherever you're waiting, you have to wait a lot of places, you know, Home Depot, all those places where you're bored with your parents and uh, I would just find ways to kind of to do stuff and I love doing it. So uh, you just find ways to, to practice and I made it fun. Okay, let's go on the baseball field now. You're out of the grocery store. Hitters have different stances. Pitchers throw from different angles, over the top, three-quarters, sidearm, submarine style. How did you find your delivery? Well, I had a lot of help because of my dad uh, being who he was and playing, and uh, he wanted to keep me healthy. And so he always just tried to find the best way, best delivery to, to make it so that I'd last a long time. You know, he had to do a slide step where his arm got a little lower, caused a lot of shoulder problems for him. So he made sure that my arm got up on top, and that was, that was a big deal for me. So I just I was taught that from an early age, and I just stuck with it. And the age-old question is, when should a kid start throwing a curveball i know it's probably different for everybody that's always a tough question because you know it, it's based off of how you're going to throw the curveball and then you know, how you're taught and, and where your arm angle is and those are all factors and i was i was taught at around nine or ten the way i was taught was you know to not break my wrist not really snap it and a lot of kids are taught that way and i was taught to hold it um, like i hold it now just throw it like a football to where it's like full arm going forward and, and to not really go and just really snap your wrist and I still throw it that way and uh, you know it's a little slower it's a it's a big break you know my arm's been able to to, to stay healthy for the most part it's been fortunate in that regard but uh, yeah it, it's it's kind of one of those things you really don't need it at, at a really young age sometimes if you throw it the right way it, it can be okay and it can lead to no injuries Visiting with Steve Johnson here on Rick's Tips. And, Steve, let's talk about the changeup. Uh, there's different changeups that guys can throw. Felix has that circle change. He throws 90 miles an hour. And then there's changeups that are pitchers back off 10 to 15 miles an hour. How did you find that particular pitch, and how do you throw it? That was always a, a struggle for me when I was starting. Uh, I was trying to find a pitch that I could just uh, change up that I can throw for a strike. And I always struggled to, uh, you know, my fingers a little longer. So when people th- showed me grips, it never really worked for me. I just gripped it one time and it felt good and I just kept with it and I was as a starter I was able to to really throw it in there for a strike. As a reliever I don't get to throw it as much so I'm a little more inconsistent with it but it's still something that when I throw it well it's a good pitch for me. Best advice for a kid just go out there and have fun practice 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 and 
throw strikes. Well, that, that's that's the, that's the name of the game right there. And uh, as long as it's still fun, then then you're doing something right. Well, I'll tell you what, you're doing a lot of things right. Uh, you're doing a great job out of that bullpen. Thanks a lot for being our guest here on Rick's Tips. Right, thank you. And finally, big Mariners fan, it's Bernie. For people that don't remember, tell us your story. Where are you from? How did you become a Mariners fan? I'm from uh, a city in the north of England, uh, in Yorkshire, Gary, uh, Leeds. Uh, it's a city, city of about 800,000, mainly uh, rugby league and soccer, particularly mm-hmm. soccer, and a little bit of cricket. Uh, I've watched baseball since back in the 80s, uh, but I've not particularly had a, had a team that I followed in those days. I used to watch a little bit on, on the TV in, in Britain. But back in the late 80s, I think it was 90, I was on vacation, uh, just touring the Carolina coastline, uh, and I just got watching in, in the hotel. Uh, it was a famous Yankee, Yankees-Mariners uh, games when Randy Johnson was pitching. I remember seeing this guy on the on the mound, this goatee beard, looked evil, he looked, he looked evil. And uh, I do remember him... And, I had friends on holiday and they couldn't drag me away from the TV sets after that because I saw all, I saw just all about all those that series against the Yankees. So of course when I came back to the, went back to the UK, <coughs> excuse me, I uh, I followed it the best I could for three and a half, four thousand miles away. But the Mariners were my team from then on, and sadly we never got any further after after the Yankees. But since then I followed them. Uh, I've been keeping the internet as that progressed over the years. I can follow it a lot closer. It's very difficult, you know, say three and a half, four thousand miles away, but. Uh, in, this is my fifth year and I've managed to come across on the bounce to see games I'm, I'm doing seven games this trip mm-hmm. last year I think it was six and I actually got a wedding in last year that <laughs> friends that I met on my trips I was invited to their wedding they built their wedding day around the matches that I was I was watching uh, and actually the, the couple are with me tonight they're coming in uh, for the game but yeah it's a lot easier now now that uh, I've no ties I've no wife or children so I can come across get a nice run of games mm-hmm. uh, ties in with my work uh, and I came in last Tuesday, and I'm here till I'm going to see the, the Padres, the two okay. games, and then I fly back on Wednesday, next Wednesday. So you're eight hours ahead. How do you how do you follow the Mariners on a day to day basis? Well, I'm I, at work. I've got a, I've got the schedule. My office looks like a probably like this. I've got <laughs> more pictures. I think I'm a season ticket holder of my soccer team. <laughs> and there's pictures of Safeco Field. There's the bobbleheads. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I follow it on, when I, I get into work early purposely. You know, I'm in at work. I start at nine. I'm in at seven, and I can go on the internet and I can read about every game. I can go on the Mariners website, and get all the news. Uh, Friday evenings are the best when they're playing because I've got the app. app. Uh-huh. So I go to bed at say nine, nine, ten o'clock, and then I'm awake at three and four in the morning with the app. app <laughs> watching when it's if it's a, if it's a close game, you know, uh-huh. and I, I wake up then about. I get out of bed about nine o'clock, uh, and then by the middle of the afternoon, I'm absolutely full. I've got matchsticks under my eyes because of. <laughs> so that, that's how I follow it. We, we, I do, to be honest with you, we do have the satellite and the various digital stations where you do get baseball, but I've not, I've not got that. But if I did have it, uh, I'd be watching any game that'd be on, and, and work would suffer, I'm afraid. So it's very much the internet uh, and the the app, app that I that I use, uh, and say so I have friends here, and I'm always on the mail order getting the, the latest mm-hmm. gear sent mm-hmm. to me. And, if ever you see my Facebook pages when I'm out, <laughs> go to the soccer game and you think I've got I haven't got any of the my own club's stuff on. I've got the Mariners tops on. So yeah, I'm quite a, I'm quite a fanatic. It's, it's probably taken hold of me big time the last three or four years since I've visited because mm-hmm. I've, I've met some great friends since I've over here and I've also made welcome. I mean, the ballpark itself. I've got a, a shout out for all the attendants here because you know we I, I've been to. Wimbledon. I've been to the British Open golf. I've been to the, the, the Grand National, the horse racing. The, the, the quality of the attendance here, mm. you know, and I think you've got to give a shout out for these guys because 
a lot of them are solid unsung heroes and I think the when I go home after the last game I'm really disappointed walking back to my hotel because <laughs> I could sit here every night and watch games because of the atmosphere and that's winning and losing you know well you've seen some pretty fun games so far on this trip what was it like when Martin hit the walk-off home run well we all love sport I mean I love I say I love my soccer I love I love I love any live sport and get to see it's one of those one of those moments I don't know if anybody saw the Champions League final today it was a went down to penalties Real Madrid players Real Madrid fans will remember that final penalty Ronaldo scoring they were there that was probably of all the t- I've seen my soccer team win the FA Cup final at Wembley 1-0 I've seen us win what is now the Premier League that on when uh, was it Wednesday, Tuesday night, sorry, Tuesday night. That is up there with probably one of the best, if not the best, moment of life sport because the pressure, two strikes, two outs, you know, the run's on, mm-hmm. but you never think you're going to be there. And I'd moved around, I'd left my seat and I was moving near the exits <laughs> as, as, the, as the strikes were going in. And I just got sat down for that. I thought I'd better sit down, there's one, one last pitch, and just hear the crack of the, the leather on the wood and you see it flying. Um, and it was it's quite a walk back up to my hotel uh, near the Pike Market, uh, and there were people hollering and shouting and high fiving all the way up this up the road. And I got into the local bar around the route round the from the hotel, and everybody, all the barmen and the people, I was saying, "You at the game? At the game?" And they wanted to know, you know, what it was like. And, and it was a fant- one of the best sporting occasions I've, I've 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 been. The only thing that probably beat it now was a you know a, a playoff at a World Series mm. place to see the Mariners in the first World Series. That'd be great for everybody. What is it about the game of baseball that's captured your imagination? I think if you go back to old black and white films or documentaries that we're getting in Britain, you know, on our documentary channels, you do see some of the some of the footage. Mm-hmm. And I I always say that baseball, I think that's America's game. Now I'm sure NFL fans will reel back in shock horror, but I do feel baseball says everything about the American sporting love, the culture. It's just something there that. Grabs me, you know, to, and I just think it's something when you're in a ball game, it's got a unique atmosphere. We have cricket matches, you know, and I'm not a, a massive cricket fan, uh, but there's something about like the atmosphere at a ball game that just just says everything about this is sport in America, this is live sport done, and it's presented well both throughout the media outlets as well as live at the ballpark. So I mean, I just think I think it's one of the best two or three hours you can have, you know, as a sports sports fan. Well, Bernie, it was so great seeing you again. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Gary, and hopefully see you next year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're ready to go then with the first round. The first selection goes to Seattle. Seattle selects number 1154, Cincinnati, Ohio, George Kenneth Griffey, center field. Seattle's selection is George Kenneth Griffey, center fielder from Muller High School in Ohio. See you later! Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 